fear in the people of God because the Lord is our light and our salvation. Nothing to fear. Isn't that great news? Wonderful. You may be seated. Well, we are going to have an amazing morning this morning. We have Mal and Davina Fletcher with us. Come on, let's welcome, let's welcome them. We truly, truly are really, really thankful for Mal and Davina. And you know, I'm sure you know this, but over the years, Mal and Davina's lives have literally touched millions of people. They wouldn't tell you this because they're not that type of people, but literally millions of people's lives have been impacted. And it's wonderful, you know, to see God raise up men and women that have access to many, many multitudes of people to bring the good news of the gospel. And it was in 1982, I was just talking to Mal, 1982, uh, Mal pioneered something called Youth Alive in Australia. And really, that triggered something, not only in Australia, but throughout the, throughout the world, really, musically, and really impacted a generation of young people and raised them up into the things of God. And much of the things that we enjoy today, much, much of the things that, that you know, musically and, and through media, Christian media that we see today, was seeded in those early days of Youth Alive. And also on from there, Mal has been, I'm sure, um, many pastors and churches would say this throughout the world. He's been a prophetic voice into churches. And we are so privileged, really are, to have Mal Fletcher with us this morning to speak prophetically into our time. Okay, so really open your heart to receive direction this morning from God's servant. He's going to speak prophetically into our time in which we live, I'm sure, but also into the heart of our church as we go forward and into our personal lives. So I really do want you to show Mal a warm, warm welcome as we ask him to come. Come on, Mal. Bless us with the Word of God. I should take you everywhere. Good morning, church. Turn to the person next to you and say, even in a mask, you look gorgeous. <laughs> For those who are wearing masks. Well, it's great to be back in the appropriately named King's Church, because it is the King's Church. And uh, I was remembering with Dave before we came out here that my first experience here was way back in about 1987, I think it was, not long after this building had been restored from or changed from a roller skating rink to a church. That's how far back I go and uh, almost to the building itself. And it's just been wonderful over the years to see so many things happen in this place that have touched Wales have touched the UK. I remember very well the conferences that ran for a number of years, and I was privileged to be a speaker many times. 
And people would come literally from all over the UK and Europe to this place, this Antioch, to receive from the Lord. And we're here today because we believe that God is not just a God of Abraham, he's also a God of Isaac and Jacob. He's the same God today as he was then. And he's got even different things for us to do and better things in some respects for us to be doing. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Lovely to hear it. It's all muffled in masks, isn't it? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you today. It is true that when it's all said and done, we are just creatures of the dust that were fashioned by our hand. We were made for great and lofty purposes. You breathed into us a breath of life. We lost that position of grace, is the Bible, because of our pride and arrogance. We fell away from relationship with you. But you sent your son to die for us, to make a way where there was no way. The just dying for the unjust, the pure for the impure. And he not only died, but he rose again on the third day and sent his Holy Spirit to again breathe into us a breath of new life, a new birth. And we pray this morning that you'll speak from your word to us. Help this messenger. He's only a messenger. But please help him, Lord. He needs your help today. Pray that you'll speak to us, whether we're online right now or here in the service, and that people, Lord, will be given a new hope and a new strength to go forward into this era beyond COVID. We confess that Jesus' name is greater than COVID's name. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3, and welcome to those of you that are with us on stream today. I hope you receive something great from this. Romans 5, 3 says, We also exult. The word means to triumph, to celebrate in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation, trouble, hardship, sometimes oppression, brings about perseverance and perseverance brings about proven character and proven character hope and hope does not disappoint. Another translation says this hope will not lead to disappointment because the love of God has, poured out, has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In Jeremiah 29, 11, a verse most Christians know very well, for I know the plans I still have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. To be exiled from one's normal life can be a terrible thing. In recent times, we've come to appreciate again the heartbreaking power of exile. The terrifying pain of people who are forced to leave jobs, homes and even families to escape existential threats. Suddenly all that's familiar to them is mercilessly stripped away, leaving them grappling desperately for a sense of direction and hope. On a different level, exile is a word that also describes how some people have felt during the COVID-19 pandemic. While it's been nowhere near as dehumanizing as the alienation that thousands of Afghanis have experienced, the feelings of hopelessness have seemed just as real. 
And ladies and gentlemen, those same feelings were very real to the Old Testament people of Israel. Having been invaded by the mighty Babylonian Empire, the best and brightest of their nation were taken into captivity in Babylon. And at the height of their hopelessness, the word of God came to them through the prophet Jeremiah, saying, I haven't forgotten my plans for you. I still have plans for you. And they are still plans to give you a future and a hope. Now, what does that statement mean, a future and a hope? It means a future that is worthy of anticipation. Now, you can have a future without having a hope. If you live beyond the next moment, you have a future. But it's not necessarily one of hope. Many people coming out of COVID season or gradually emerging from it don't feel any sense of hope about their future. But this is a future worthy of your highest expectation. This is a hope that is the best you could expect. How many of you would like to have a hope that's the best you can possibly expect? And through the centuries, these words of Paul and Jeremiah echoed to us as a clarion call that we too can know a hope that does not disappoint. There's a lot of talk about hope today. We have politicians, and there are many fine politicians we need to pray for. They're wonderful people doing good work. But some of them make soundbite promises designed to offer hope. Scientists, thank God for scientists, develop new technologies to encourage hope. Media occasionally tell stories to inspire hope. I work a lot in the media, and there are good people in there trying to do their best to inspire hope. And there are marketers, great creative people designing advertising to suggest hope. And yet a lot of what is called hope today is little more than hype. And we need in this nation and this region of the world more than hype today. In England, a large study of adults age 18 plus showed that 26% of people reported self-harm thoughts and nearly 8% acted on those self-harm thoughts at least once between the beginning of the pandemic and May of this year. 8%. In Wales, in the period immediately before the pandemic, almost 12% of Welsh people suffered severe mental health issues. That climbed to 28% just after the lockdowns began. So almost three times as many people said they were suffering severe mental health issues after the arrival of COVID-19. In Wales, again, two-thirds, 67% of people say that the outbreak of COVID affected their well-being in a negative way. Hope was in short supply even before COVID-19. Even before COVID, one in four people in the UK generally said they felt or suffered from irrational fears of one kind or another. Now, I found over the years, part of my work is as a futurist, tracking shifts in technology and social values and ethics and commenting on that in the media, like the BBC, speaking to civic groups and universities about that sort of thing. Again, trying to bring hope. But I'll tell you, even more than knowledge about the future, people need hope about their future. They need to know there's a future and a hope. A hope that will not disappoint. A hope that adds value to even your toughest tribulations, to use Paul's word. And the question I asked myself preparing for today is, 
how can I appropriate the kind of hope that Paul and Jeremiah are talking about? How can I align my life with it so that I enjoy and experience it? How can I be a beacon of hope in a world that is so lacking in it? And I found the first answer is, I need to understand the basis of Christian hope. It's impossible to know hope if you don't know where it comes from. And as a Christian, my hope is not based in any future event. It's not based in the future of politics or the economy or climate change or technological advancement. My hope, your hope as a Christian, is based on an historical event. This hope points us backward in order to point us forward. You know, even the greatest critic of Christianity has to admit, if they're honest, that something extraordinary, something unprecedented took place or was perceived to have taken place on the first Easter Sunday around AD 29, 2,000 years ago. If we approach history objectively, we see that there's more extant documentary evidence for the resurrection of Christ than for the existence of Julius Caesar and a host of other historical figures the existence of whom hardly anybody doubts. That means there's written documentary evidence for the fact of the resurrection that's close to the event itself. There's more of that than there is for the existence of Caesar and a host of other figures. In the Gospels, the resurrection is presented not as some vague philosophical idea, some metaphor for life. It's presented as an incomprehensible, yes, but still incontrovertible fact. It's an unfamiliar event. If you study ancient history, you'll see that the idea of this kind of resurrection was not part of any philosophical or theolog theological tradition to that point in time. There was no history of this kind of idea. There were some people who talked about a spiritual resurrection after death. There were some people who talked about a physical resurrection before the day of judgment. But that's not the same thing as one man being spontaneously raised from the dead a few days after death and it was so unheard of that the apostles needed miracles to back it up. When they went out to preach the resurrection of Jesus, they had miracle after miracle after miracle to back up what they were saying. This was an unfamiliar event. It was a physical event. The Gospels don't present the resurrection as some sort of mass hallucinogenic experience, some kind of Jewish Woodstock. A mass delusion. Delusions don't happen in masses, by the way. Christ had a physical body. He said, put your hands on my hands. Put your hand into my side. See the wounds. He asked for food that he would eat and drink with them. Now, mind you, it wasn't a normal body. It was a modified body. And anybody here who's into cars knows what modification means. Jesus' body could do things that mine can't do, that his couldn't do before the cross. Apparently, doors were locked and he would suddenly appear in the room. That's pretty cool. He could appear and disappear at will, it seems. It seems that in some respect, the, the visage of Jesus was changed at times so that people didn't recognize him. Mary called him a gardener or thought he was a gardener until he said her name. Great things happen when Jesus says your name. 
Things come alive. Lights go on. When Jesus calls your name and says, I want you. If you're a Christian, you're not a Christian because you chose Jesus. He chose you. And he called you by name. And he hasn't forgotten your name. He still has a purpose and a hope for you. Christian hope is not based on something in the future. It's based on something in the past. That means nothing can take it away unless you choose to let it go. Because it doesn't matter who's in government today as far as this hope is concerned. Does that mean Christians shouldn't get involved in politics? No, I think we all have a responsibility to vote and we have a responsibility to try and vote according to our consciences as Christians. Not because someone else tells us to vote this way, no, but because we have a conscience that's been awakened by the Holy Spirit. But it's not about the future of politics that gives me hope. The future of economics, the future of the budget, the future of the economy of Britain doesn't give me hope of this kind. The future of technological change, and there's so much good technology coming out today. It's not that that gives me hope as a Christian. It's nothing future, it's something past that gives me hope. So it not only points us backward to our history, but then it points us forward to our destiny. It builds on the past, a platform for the future. Because 1 John 3, 2 says, When we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him just as he is. This is the risen Christ that's talking about. In Romans 8, 23, it says, We still await the full adoption, the full redemption of our bodies. Now, if you're a Christian, your spirit is already redeemed. It's been made new. You've been born again. There's a new person living inside you. That's incredible when you think about it. Have you ever met someone, I have, whose life so drastically changes the moment they come to Christ? Almost the next day, things look different about them. It doesn't happen the same way for everybody. But it is a change in your heart. There's a change in the very core of your being. Your spirit is made alive. It's quite a dramatic thing, but your body is not redeemed yet. It's not fully redeemed, the scripture says, because my body is still subject to sickness and death. But there will come a day, because of the resurrection, when I will see my body redeemed. In Romans 8.11, the scripture refers to that. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will quicken your mortal body. Now, as a Pentecostal over the years, I've heard many, many preachers talk about this and say, well, the Holy Spirit is referring here to healing. Well, he is and he isn't. What it's actually saying is, on the day when Christ returns, your body will be quickened even as Jesus was. And quickened means brought back to life. Your body will be made completely whole. It'll be modified. I don't know exactly how. The Bible doesn't elucidate on that. But I know it will be different to the body I have now because there'll be no sickness. It'd be a body like Jesus' body. Because Romans 8.29 says he is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That is, he is the model of a new kind of humanity that God has begun to build in us. People ask you, don't they, what does the Bible say about life after death? Or what do you as a Christian believe about life after death? And sometimes, you know, I, I don't really know 
we're sure of the answer because actually the Bible says more about life after life after death. What? Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Am I right? How many have heard that before? That means if you're a Christian and you died right now, please don't. <laughs> but if you did, you would instantly be in the presence of the Lord. That's why Christian funerals are so often more celebratory than other kinds of funerals. Because someone we believe is instantly in the presence of the Lord. Now, I don't know what form they take. I guess it's spiritual because their bodies haven't been fully adopted, as it were, fully redeemed. We just saw that. But they're in the presence of the Lord in heaven. But the Bible goes even further forward than that into the future. It points to a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, where we rule and reign with Christ, having new bodies that will never be subjected to pain or sorrow or death. Now, we can't speculate too much on what the Bible doesn't make clear, but it's pretty clear to me that the ultimate destiny of a Christian is not just heaven. Somehow, I don't know how, it's going to involve a new heaven and a new earth. The resurrection has given rise to all of that. In Colossians 1.27, it says, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Another version says, Christ lives in you, and he is your hope of sharing in God's glory. Do you know what glory is? It's not fame. That's a shallow fake that's why so many people burn out when they get famous because we weren't built to be worshipped there's only one who is equipped to be worshipped who is capable of receiving it and that's the lord that's the father god himself now fame is a poor substitute for glory what is glory it's magnificence it's brightness it's majesty it's all those things on your best day when you dream about what God is like, it's that multiplied a million times. It's so magnificent you can't stand in its presence. You fall like Isaiah on your face with the breath sucked out of you because it's so awesome to look upon. And the Bible says that we will share in that glory, that hope of glory is ours. First Timothy chapter 3 uses the same word about Jesus. When Jesus ascended to heaven, it says God received him into glory, into his splendor, into his majesty. And this is a condition that Jesus is willing to share with us. And when he gave you the Holy Spirit as a Christian, that was like the Bible says a guarantee that this was to come. Do you know you can taste heaven now? Every time you're healed, if you've ever been healed of anything, that's a foretaste of a kingdom where there's no sickness. If you've ever received a material blessing where you needed something and God gave it to you, that's a foretaste of a kingdom where there's no poverty. If you've ever had a prophecy where, or a word of encouragement from someone in the church and you think, well, that's really built me up today. Thank you very much. I hang on to that going forward. That's a small taste of the coming kingdom of heaven 
where we know, Paul says, as we are known. Even the intimate details of who we are are known to us as they are to the Lord. There are many difficulties we face on the road before we get to that life after life after death. <laughs> but clearly, God wants to help us experience and model this hope that does not disappoint in the here and now. It's not just about waiting till then, it's about demonstrating and enjoying it and experiencing it and modeling it now. That's why Paul says, I discipline my body like an athlete. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to everyone else, I myself might be disqualified. His body, he means they're his thoughts, his emotions. We've got to let hope reign in our thoughts and emotions. We've got to discipline ourselves. Let me give you an example from everyday life and then move on quickly. The other points are a bit shorter than this one, but this is important. I thank God for social media. I use it all the time. I used it this morning. It's wonderful in so many ways. But there are ways that it's not so wonderful. Do you agree? It's not always good for your mental well-being. It can sometimes get you down because you're looking at everybody else's perfect life. And yours doesn't match up. It's not always good for relationships. I'm glad we had things like Zoom during the COVID-19 pandemic. But it doesn't substitute for this. Because here you can see the... You don't even know you're doing it. Your brain is reading micro-expressions on my face. And that also is speaking to you. Just as you right now are speaking to me. Without even knowing it. Isn't human communication wonderful? David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and social media is not always good for allowing your, your brain the space it needs to assimilate what it's experiencing and learning. Sort of everything moves on so quickly. What does Paul mean to discipline his flesh, his body, when it comes to things like social media? I'm just using this as an example. Well, if Paul were doing this, he would say, think ahead. Most of what goes digital stays digital. So think about what you're writing on those social media posts. Do you want your future employer to see it? Would you want your grandma to see it in a few years' time? Don't behave online as you wouldn't behave offline. Psychologists call that social disinhibition. People lose their inhibitions online. They think, it's just online, so I'll say what I, what I like. I would never say it to your face. I think if Jesus were here today, he would say, tweet unto others as you'd have them tweet unto you. Don't be narcissistic. You know, one of the great things about social media is that we can get things quickly, but that can also result in us becoming slightly narcissistic. I can get everything I need now. It all comes to me. Jesus didn't tell us to live like that. The emphasis of the way Jesus told us to live is on go, not wait for it to come. You go. You take the initiative. Have an outward look on life. Be wary of the wisdom of crowds online. People say, you know, crowds are very wise. Actually, crowds are pretty dumb. 
a lot of the time. Proverbs 9 says, Proverbs 16 rather says, there is a way that seems right to people, but the end thereof is the way of death. And here's the last one. We talk about disciplining ourselves so that hope can reign in our lives. Avoid conspiracy theories. If you want to be a hopeful Christian in the age we're living in right now, if you want to know hope that doesn't disappoint, if you want to be a, bo- a beacon of hope in an age of despair, don't get drawn in to conspiracy theories. Oh, but Mal, there are thousands of people who believe this. How do you know that? Because they're all online telling me this. How do you, why are they all online telling you this? Because the algorithms think this is what you want to know. The internet, most of you know this, the distribution of material is governed by bots, we call them, or algorithms, with machines that work via mathematical formulae to analyse your data and then feed back to you what they, quote, think you will like. So just because 100 people have come back to you and it seems like 100 people are saying the same thing doesn't mean that it's the truth. Conspiracy theories are very convenient narratives for what is often very complicated problems. They seem to make simple what is very complicated, which is why they're attractive. Human beings, we like that. We're drawn to that. But friends, some things aren't that simple. Some things are not the result of a conspiracy. There are conspiracies in history, yes, but not all things are the result of a group of people hiding away and making things happen. Don't get drawn into that if you want to be a person of hope that does not lead to disappointment. If we're going to be people of hope, we need to pursue resilience. I love this word. I've been studying this word recently because I really, I don't know, I'm drawn to it in the COVID season. Romans 5 says we rejoice in troubles because they trigger endurance which triggers character, which triggers hope. There's a hope that comes because of proven character and endurance. The word for that character and that endurance, if you put them together, is in modern English, resilience. Hope is triggered when we show resilience in the face of trouble. Do you know what resilience means? It comes from a Latin word, resile, which means to leap back, to jump back, literally, to re-jump, re-leap. So it's what we're talking about when we say, so-and-so will bounce back. Been a tough time, but she'll bounce back. Been a hard time, but he'll bounce back. That's resilience, literally what resilience means. In physics, it means the ability of an entity or a substance to, to reclaim its original shape after it's been stretched or pulled or compressed. How many of you have felt stretched or pulled or compressed in the last 12 months? Anybody? Hello, speak to me. How many of you felt in any way stressed today? I think if we're honest, most of us have. But the Bible is saying through Christ's help, through the Spirit's help, we can bounce back. We can take the shape we originally had. 
I don't think Paul would have been invited to many Christian conferences. I just imagine a conference inviting Paul. I'm talking about certain kinds of conferences. I'm not trying to be cynical. I'm making a point. Yeah, faith works. Praise God, faith works. Brother Paul is a missionary from down Asia Minor Way. He's going to come and tell us all the great things that faith has done for him of late. Big hand for Brother Paul. <laughs> Paul comes up to the stage. Yeah, faith works. I've been shipwrecked. I've been flogged. I've been stoned with stones. That's important, I have to say that, especially here in Wales. <laughs> in one place, my enemies let me down in a basket over the city wall, so that my friends rather, so my enemies wouldn't kill me. Yeah, faith really works. Thank you, Brother Paul. Who invited him? But in Acts 14, we're told in Iconium, a crowd stoned Paul, left him for dead. That means they thought he was as close to death as he was going to get, so they just finished the job. Job done. Went home. When the disciples gathered around him, the scripture says, he stood up and walked straight back into the city. That is resilience. Oh, was he physically wounded? No, no doubt. But there was something in him greater than a physical wound which says, I will bounce back. I will re-jump. I will take back my original form. That's resilience. When you're squeezed and pressured, God enables you to come back to what he intended you to be. Why? Because God loves you and he has a purpose for you. Romans 5, verse 5, we read it this morning. He says, this leads to a hope that does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So if you're facing pressure today, how do you stay resilient? Well, you do what it says in Ephesians 6. Take up the whole armor of God and having done all, stand. Stand on what? 1 Corinthians 16, stand firm in the faith. The last time I was here, This was the last church I preached in before lockdown. I have spoken since lockdown, but this is the first church I'm speaking to after lockdown. That has to mean something. I don't know what, but it's one of the reasons I waited so long on this word for you. What do we stand on? The last time I was here, I touched on this. We stand in the faith, the revelation of God contained in the Bible. You can't, if you're a Christian, stand on your emotions or experience more than the Word of God. Well, you can, but you won't survive. Ephesians chapter 4 says, These people are like infants. They're tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, influenced by people who try to trick them with lies. So clever they sound like the truth. Be careful what you listen to online, even if it seems to be coming from a Christian voice. Be careful. Not paranoid. That's different. Just be careful. 
You cannot allow your emotions and experience to rule your revelation. Your, your, your revelation. It has to be the other way around. Your revelation has to be. The scriptures have to be the thing that rules your emotion. Some Christians today are taking positions on moral questions that are totally counter to the word of God. And they do it for good. They, they have good intention. Their intention is to not hurt someone they love. Someone they love is going through a certain thing, so they say, well, I'll change my understanding of what the Bible says to fit what's going to help or be convenient for that person. That is dangerous ground for you and for them because the Bible says the wages of sin, which is just abandoning God's way, is death. That means a slow, moral, emotional, mental decay. We're not people like that, friends. We're people of truth and grace. Can't have grace without truth. Can't have truth without grace. The Bible says in Ephesians, speak the truth in love. It doesn't say tell people what they want to hear in love. <laughs> am I telling you to be judgmental? I am certainly not. Because you're to speak the truth in love. And you've got to pray for the right moment. And if you're not the right person to speak the word and you feel a check, you've got to wait and pray God send someone else. Speak the truth in love. Another version says with the accent on love. We're not here to get people to think like us by compulsion, but by persuasion. That's why we used to talk about winning people for Jesus. Did you ever hear that term? I'm going to win people for Jesus. Someone won me for Christ. It's winning them over. It's persuading them. Look, this way, the Bible way, actually makes more sense than that way. And in an age where our schools today, and I have to be careful, but I'm going to say what I'm going to say, where our schools are trying to get children confused about who they are in gender terms, can I just say to you today, the way to react to that is not for me to be paranoid and fight back. It's simply to say, listen... This way works better than that way. And please, I'm not trying to make a complex debate sound simplistic. I'm just saying at its root, we have to look for what the Bible says and stand on it. Are you with me on that? Is anybody with me on that today? We stand in truth. That's how we become resilient. And here's the final thing. I love it when I say that. It means I'm almost done. And you love it even more. Come on, be honest. I can see it in the micro expressions on your face. Finally. What a wonderful word in English. Paul used to use it and then write three more chapters. Well, I'm not going to do that. It's true. If you want to be a person of hope, who knows hope in an age that has so little of it, and is a beacon of hope in your job, in your workplace, in your family... You need to put your hope to work, to express it in your calling, in your gifts, solving problems, pointing people forward to the coming kingdom of hope. You know, the Christian hope of glory, the hope that does not disappoint, drove many of history's greatest Christians to solve problems that changed the world. I could go on all day about this and so could you. Martin Luther King Jr. worked for racial equality because he believed in a coming kingdom where there was no Injustice. 
Mother Teresa gave her life to the sick and the dying in the dirtiest streets of Calcutta because she worked representing and pointing the way to a kingdom of hope where there was no poverty. Florence Nightingale gave up the comfortable life in Middle England she could have had to give herself to the soldiers dying on the Crimean war fields and single-handedly invented modern nursing because she, as a Christian, by the way, wanted to live and proclaim a coming kingdom where there was no sickness and no suffering. William Wilberforce, the great British parliamentarian who for more than a generation stood against the practice of slavery in the British Isles and set in motion a process that in the end brought slavery in America to an end, or at least not modern slavery, we're still dealing with that, but historical slavery to an end. This man was doing it for one reason, because as a committed Christian, he believed there was a coming kingdom where there was no oppression. Every one of these and scores of others through history have done what they've done because they're people of hope that does not disappoint. And they're pointing the way practically forward, not just with their words, but with their actions. They're engaging with problems and showing there's a better way. I don't want to just sit down and wait for Jesus to come back because that's not even biblical. Jesus said, when the Son returns, will he find faith in the earth? And not just any faith, because the story he told just before it was about the widow who kept pestering the judge until she got the answer. Will the Son of Man find this kind of faith? Is what Jesus is saying. When I come back, am I going to find people persisting in challenging, changing problems? Not just speaking the truth with no action, backing it up with action. Positive, proactive, problem-solving action. Do you know that Christian hope is not optimism? Do you know what optimism is? Most of you will think, well, optimism is glass half full. Actually, that's not what the word meant when it first came to us from the French in the 17th century. Here's what it meant. Realism with a dash of positivity. Or, if you like, not glass half full, but glass half empty, but could be full. That's different. Because when you look at the world in Wales today coming out of COVID, you look at the employment, you look at people's sadness and so on, you see there are problems that need to be solved. There's a reality there that isn't comfortable. It's no good just saying, oh, let's be optimistic and smile about it. You've got to recognize it's not in a good way. But it could be. People are hurting, but they could be healed. People are, are lonely, but they could be befriended. I can do something about that in some way or other. Romans 4, without weakening in his faith, Abram faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Abram did not look in his ancient version of a mirror and say, I am not old. I refuse to say that I am old. I will not acknowledge that I am... <coughs> old he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead and yet he did not waver there's resilience he did not waver in unbelief if you're going to be a person of real hope you don't just go around smiling and saying this is wonderful it's all going to work out it's cool you've got to be able to acknowledge the problem real hope and real faith Acknowledge the facts, but see beyond them an even bigger faith, capital F, called God. 
Here's a fact someone is sick. Here's an even bigger fact God is a healer. Here's a small, here's a problem. Someone is poor and in need of money. Here's a bigger fact. God is a supplier of every need because he is Jehovah Jireh. Maybe he wants to do that through me. Maybe I need to be the agency. Maybe I need to let my faith act, my hope act. Christian hope rolls up its sleeves. It solves problems. Because in the age of information overload, innovation will trump qualification every single time. In an age where people can get massive amounts of information just by clicking a button on a phone, making a swipe on a screen, it's not so impressive anymore that you know a lot. It's still important that you know things, and Christians are always learning. But... That's not what gives you influence anymore. It's whether you can take all that knowledge and turn it into something that adds value to people and their environment, that solves problems. Innovation trumps qualification now. It's not just qualifications are great. I'm not knocking them. Thank God for them. I know some very, very well-qualified people. So do you. I'm talking about the fact that in terms of influence, people are looking for those who can solve problems. Pastor Clement or Clem Pinckney was well known in his community for the good work he did in the church and in his city. His life was cut tragically short one night in June 2015 when a lone gunman invaded a prayer meeting and shot and killed nine people. The pastor's funeral was attended by people from far and wide. His eulogy was given by none other than President Barack Obama. Speaking at the funeral, the church's associate minister related how people often asked their pastor why he not only led this growing church, but also worked hard as a member of the state senate of South Carolina. Pastor did this, he said, because he knew that decisions about better roads are not made in church. Decisions about better education in Britain are not made in church. Decisions about better media are not made in church. Decisions about better healthcare are not made in church. Better uses of technology, they're not made in church. But we can be involved in those things. And many smaller things on every day, just solving small problems for people. He wasn't a megastar. You didn't see him on Charisma magazine or Christian television. But he made a difference because he was a model of hope. His church wasn't even particularly big. He just made a difference because he took hope seriously and found practical ways to express it. So by understanding where Christian hope comes from, the resurrection, by letting hope rule our thoughts and emotions, by pursuing resilience, by standing firmly on the word of God, and by solving problems for others. We can become beacons of hope in an age marked by futility, insecurity, and in many cases, despair. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. How blessed we are at this time to live in a land where we can still gather like this to hear what the Bible says. God, protect this nation that we never become a people where this becomes 
impossible except through civil disobedience. We pray that you'll keep this nation, that you'll continue to speak to our politicians and our thinkers and our media leaders and others and our educators and teachers about Christian values. We thank you for what you've given us in history and for the freedom today. We have to do what we're doing right now. We ask you, Lord, that you'll help us each one to be people of hope that does not disappoint. Maybe there are Christians in this room who've been very disappointed in the last year or so. Even in recent times, disappointed when they expected one thing and experienced another. I pray that right now there will be an impartation of hope, not into their mind alone, but deep into their spirit. That hope will rule and reign in their hearts through Christ. That no matter what disappointments they've seen, they will say by an act of sheer will, I will not be shaped by that. Primarily, I'll be shaped by the hope that does not disappoint. For I know that God still loves me. He hasn't forgotten the plans he has for me to give me a future worthy of my highest expectations. Father, I pray that you just, by the Holy Spirit, impart new hope right now. The seeds of it into hearts that have lost hope or just find it so difficult to find or that are surrounded by people who who are sick because they've lost hope. They're sick in their mind or their heart or their emotions because they've lost hope. Lord, I pray that you'll make my brothers and sisters in Christ beacons of hope, imparters of hope. Oh God, thank you, Jesus, that you've risen from the dead. Nothing can take my hope from me because it's not based on the future. It's based on an historical fact. Christ, the Son of God, risen from the dead, now seated at the right hand of God. And every day, knee one day will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I pray for anybody watching us on the stream today or in this room who's never met Jesus, that even before they leave this congregation or this moment, in their heart of hearts, they'll say, Lord, I turn my life over to you. I'm tired of driving the wrong way down one-way streets. I'm tired. I'm tired of living below my own standards, much less God's. I want to get out of the driver's seat. Get in the passenger side and let Jesus take me where he knows I was meant to be. I want that hope that does not lead to disappointment. Let them know that hope today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What an amazing word amazing word and I know that um, that word has spoken to us at so many different levels I mean Mal thank you so much really thank both of you for coming today 
um, because really that has spoken prophetically right into the heart of our church on, on so many, so many different levels. I mean, yeah, just what, what Mal said about resilience and this last season that we've, we've been through, you know, about, you know, resilience and enduring. And it's been wonderful to see the resilience, the persistence and the endurance of God's people. Circumstance, I tell you, can get you all deformed and out of shape, but it's wonderful just how Mal just explained from the Word of God how we return to shape as we pursue God's purpose. And in this next season, as these restrictions are lifting, I tell you, we're going to reform. We're going to sense that, and we're going to come out stronger. Wonderful, wonderful blessing. And, you know, like Mal said, you may be here this morning. You may be watching online, and you may have a future, but do you have a hope? I mean, the, the, that word on so many different fronts challenges us, doesn't it? And encourages us and inspires us to live for God while we are on this earth. You may have a future, but do you have a hope? Have you asked Christ Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior? You can. You can. You simply have to. You don't even have to pray a prayer. Like Mal said, you just simply have to believe that he died for your sin, that he rose from the dead, and that he loves you unconditionally, and he wants to be the center of your life. I said to somebody recently, it couldn't be any easier. It's the easiest thing in the world to place your faith in somebody that's not angry with you, but somebody that loves you, that's already forgiven you and wants to enter into a relationship with you where he will never fail you. I mean, what's hard about that? Why would you want to fight it? Let me ask you, if you want to do that, I'm going to pray for you. You're not going to have to repeat a prayer. You're just going to have to respond to him with your heart. Place your faith in him. And I'm telling you, like Mal said, the change that comes, the change that comes, the peace that's given, the healing, the life that you experience truly is beyond anything that you can ever receive in this earth from your own effort. Suddenly, you enter into a relationship with God that's freeing and wonderfully, wonderfully satisf satisfying beyond words. I'm going to pray right now. And you're going to place your faith and your trust in Jesus, maybe for the first time. And God is going to do a miracle in your heart. Lord, I pray for everybody under the sound of my voice, maybe some today, and they've never believed in you. They've never placed their faith in you. Holy Spirit, you've been speaking to them this morning through the words that Mal has spoken, the words that Mal has carried from your heart. You've been speaking to them this morning and you've opened them up. Now they're ready to place their faith in you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do a miracle as they place their trust in you, as they turn their lives over to you and they give you control holy spirit in that simple step i pray a miracle would begin your peace that transcends understanding 
would come into their heart, the Prince of Peace, Jesus. Lord, they would experience your wonderful grace, love, and salvation. Whether they're in this building or watching online, Holy Spirit, right now, as they call out to you from their heart, place their faith in you, that a miracle would begin, salvation would be given. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Come on, let's thank Mal again. We're going to stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. And listen, before we sing, right, before we go from this place, let's remember we're going into a world that desperately needs hope, desperately needs to hear our voice and the word that God has placed on our heart to lift, encourage, and strengthen those that have no hope. So over this next week, as we always um, encourage you to go out into, listen, go out into your world with a heart full of hope, waiting to receive and expect, waiting to, 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 to meet a world that's desperately in need of the aroma of Christ through you. Amen. Let's go out into our world and shed this wonderful news of the gospel. Come on, let's sing. God bless you.